0: W-B-N-E. Hello, and welcome to episode 150. That's right, there's 150 of these things. All about the Silmarillion. Chapter 10 of the Sindar. Being the 150th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I'm reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today, I am joined by Critique Geek on TikTok. Welcome, Amber. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, When I reached out, I wasn't initially sure if you were going to be as one of these in-depth Lord of the Rings- nerds that we all have become with the Silmarillion and you're like actually the Silmarillion is what I know best. So that's like Hot. Surpri- I'm a surprise nerd.
1: I cover all things geeky, but um Lord of the Rings was my hyperfixation in college. And actually when I was younger too, so
0: surprise. It's, yeah, it's a big thing to hyperfixate on because there's there's so much to hyperfixate there's on. There's
1: so much information. Um uh, you could literally spend a lifetime studying it and you will still figure out Things along the way,
0: yeah, it's absolutely nuts. I've been doing this for two and a half years now, and there's still stuff that I'm just like, "What? <laughs> Do we need to go back. What was that about?" <laughs> Tolkien was nothing if not thorough. Yes. Oh my gosh. Um, I, a little too much. Like, just, <laughs> just, just a little too much. It's like all those TikToks about like God. Poor someone is God pouring water into like three different bowls of someone's like different personalities and he just poured a little bit too much into like hyperfixation and details and and world building for tolkien
1: yep i mean he is the father of world building
0: Mm -hmm. that's for sure so uh before we dive into the chapter why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about your history with tolkien and lord of the rings how did um how did you come to it was it through the movies or was it through the hobbit or the books what was that like so I first read The Hobbit when I
1: was about 10. Um, it was recommended to me by a friend, and I picked it up, and I loved it. And I'd heard not long after that that the, they were going to make Lord of the Rings, the sequels, into movies. And being the kind of kid that I was, it's like, well, I have to read the books before I see the movies. I cannot see the movies until I read the <laughs> books. Uh, so I got – I remember I got the books for my 11th birthday, which was a couple months before the movies came out, and I just sat down. I'm like, all right let's go. And I read all of them in a couple weeks.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a big endeavor for an 11-year-old.
1: Uh, I was a reader as a kid. That w- Reading was my hyperfixation. I was the kid that would bring, you know, the book to the dinner table and not really pay attention to anything else because I was busy reading. Uh, so that's how I first got into Tolkien. And then from there, I was like well now i have to get all the books so i ended up you know conning my grandma into buying me some of the histories of middle earth and the silmarillion and unfinished tales and all that and i think i first tried to read the silmarillion when i was about 11 or 12 and i don't think i retained very much of it because it's a very yeah. difficult read
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> but as i as i got older i in in college i really got interested in the influence of religion and religious texts on fantasy literature And that's kind of how I came back to the Silmarillion and started rereading it and breaking it down and writing papers on it like the nerd that I am.
0: Yeah, there's so much to write about with that topic, regardless of whether or not Tolkien, you know, said or didn't say or said things and then later said things that contradicted those earlier things about how his religion, you know, affected his writings and everything. And then, of course, contrasting that with his good old pal C.S. Lewis, who was like, I will kill myself if everyone doesn't know that this lion is jesus yes and that's (laughs) was a huge point in my study you know tolkien
1: may have hated allegory but he was darn good at writing it and of course their whole argument over it's called the theory the theory of subcreation, which is the idea that like if god exists god exists in all worlds and the greatest thing we can do to be closest to god is to create something for ourselves
0: huh yeah that's really cool That's really cool. That's like a really fascinating idea to think about.
1: Yeah. And so C.S. Lewis was, you know, very much into that idea. And then, of course, everything seeped in with Tolkien. I don't think he could fully get away from his religion, even if he even though he tried.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I would say the Silmarillion is evidence of that. Yeah.
1: um, I tell people the Silmarillion reads part like a history book and part like a religious text. Yeah. And that's it, why it really it's, is. It's so much more difficult to, you know, sit down and get through than something like The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, which is a very clear narrative.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, this is this chapter i think especially is where like the near so far it's been pretty straightforward of like okay we're following like the creation of this world the creation of this universe there are these deities and then okay now there are elves coming and there's evil and it's been pretty straightforward but this chapter is where we kind of like take a step back in mm-hmm. the timeline of what we have already read to jump to other people's points of view of what's going on on their side of things and I'm like oh my god I forgot you existed so yeah I would say it's definitely starting to get less linear now um and I'm sure it will continue to do that there's still so much more that's what's insane to me is that like I feel like I've already read so much of the Silmarillion there's 200 pages more.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're barely now introducing the key players for some yeah. of the later events. Yeah. I like to I'll call say. this I like to call this chapter Meanwhile
0: in Middle-earth. <laughs> Literally meanwhile. Yes. So th- this is chapter 10 of the Sindar. And literally, meanwhile, in Middle Earth, um, this is what has been happening while over in Valinor, Fanor is causing just the most drama Ugh. just because he can. <laughs> um, and so we go to Elway. Who is one of the ambassadors, those yes. three elves that were originally chosen to go and look at the light of of the Valar and then come back and be like, hey, yo, this land is really dope. Let's go. And then along the way, he gets entranced by this really hot wood nymph woman (laughs) named melian um and they kind of start their own kingdom and he becomes known as thingle so that's a reminder for everyone because i forgot i was reading it i'm like oh yeah i forgot about (laughs) people the people who you know they their
1: eyes met and they stared at each other for 200 years and everyone wondered oh my gosh yeah
0: (laughs) talk about love at first sight yes um so uh, they are having a grand old time. Everything is great over here. Um, let's see. They, the the Sindar, and under the lordship of Thingol and Melian, um, these elves are the fairest and the most wise and skillful of all the elves of Middle Earth. So even though they didn't go. To Valinor, they haven't um, become acquainted with the Valar, they haven't seen, you know, the Silmarils or the trees or anything. They are still very accomplished mm-hmm. and, and worthy, valuable people, elves, I guess, not people, whatever. They're people too, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they have one daughter named Luthium, yes. And I'm like, hey. I know that name. I know she, she comes up later. Very, very important later. <laughs> yes. Um, and she's, you know, the fairest of them all, essentially, our Snow White here. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, everything is just beautiful and perfect over here for Thingle and Meliam. Um, and then, meanwhile, the dwarves, remember how Aule made some dwarves sort of on purpose, sort of on accident? And um, Eru came down and was like, you can't do that. These are not supposed to be the firstborn, but I'm not going to kill them. We'll have them wait until the elves come and then they can awaken. So the dwarves have awoken at this point. It doesn't go into detail about what that was like um, or when they awoke, you know, but right. um, but it mentions that they, it just says, the dwarves came over the Blue Mountains and they come into Beleriand, where the Sindar are. And yes. they call themselves Khazad. And this is such a, this is <laughs> such a diss. The Sindar calls them Nagrim, the stunted people. I know. And this and is- then their second name is a little bit better. It's a little bit, you know, more... um. Uh, of giving them like an accomplishment, gone. Uh, actually, it, it sounds like an STD. As I'm about to say <laughs> it out loud, gone Hiram, <laughs> the masters of stone.
1: Anyone who's reading this for the first time, this is. I'm giving you permission to keep notes with you. Reference the index in the back, all as much as you need. Because as we just saw, the dwarves have about five different names.
0: Yes, and. What's so interesting to me, and it's also very true to life, so the Silmarillion is the history of Middle-earth essentially told from the perspective of the elves. So they're telling all that they know, and here are the dwarves, and they know that the dwarves call themselves Khazad. Yes. But they call them Nagrim, which means the stunted people, which again, I think is a Pretty incredible diss. And that's what they are referred to because, of course, like in it just seems so true to life that like in a telling of history, in a telling of uh the history of a land or a people or something that it's being told through this like one ethnocentric lens and we are reading it through the, the eyes of the elves and they call them the Naugrim, the stunted people, even though the dwarves have other names for themselves and they know that. But they're like, now nah, we're going to call you the short people. Yep. They are of course we know dwarves are expert craftsmen yes. and of course they were made by Aulë so
1: and it's even called out later in this chapter that even the Noldor even though they too studied under Aulë yeah. and become great craftsmen that they cannot top the dwarves the dwarves are still the greatest craftsmen
0: yes yeah and so what's really nice about this part of of the Silmarillion is we get to see the dwarves and the elves getting along really well and they're um working off of each other and teaching each other and learning things from each other um and it says um that the dwar the elves did not know the language of the dwarves and they d- i thought this was funny again ki- very almost american um That, like, the elves don't really make an effort to learn the dwarves' language. (laughs) Right. Well, so the the dwarves
1: are willing to learn Elvish, but it's not even that the elves don't want to learn Dwarvish, which they don't because they don't like how it sounds. But the dwarves don't make an effort to teach them either. They're like, no, no, we're going to keep this. We're going to keep this for ourselves, too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it is um, very
1: much like the elves are very much positioning themselves as like, Oh no, we're we are the the dominant race here where you should be modeling yourselves after us.
0: Yeah. However, the dwarves, though, they're very willing to learn. They're coming over here and they're like, oh, hey, because the, uh, the the centaur at this point have not met any other living mm-hmm. peoples or creatures aside from, like, birds <laughs> and trees because the rest of the elves have gone over to Valinor or they're, like, on the other side of the mountains by the coast or, you know, and so it's just them. And so the dwarves show up and they're like, oh. Hey, some other people that we can hang out with. And the dwarves are also like that. So they're all generally pretty excited to be in each other's presence um, and very like open and willing to um, to to help each other. Which is really, like, wonderful and beautiful to see, considering we know that in the future, and this chapter does hint at that, um, right. that the dwarves and elves have quite a falling out. And um, even by the time, you know, many, many ages later, th- um, obviously we see between Legolas and, and Gimli the start of mm-hmm. their enemies to lovers <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ooh, you're going to have a voice with that one
0: nah they don't listen they 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 tuned out um one minute into this if they even listened at all um i only have the the good people listening
1: good um now, so but also you gotta remember the dwarves were they were still getting paid for all this work uh, whether it's yeah. through knowledge from Melian or from the pearls from the um from the ocean
0: Yes, very fa- I appreciate that too. That they're like, you know what? We're not just gonna like we understand this is a labor. Like this is a lot for you to do. They know the world. We're, we're gonna of their reward work. that. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, it's all the grand old time here. Um however, Melian has um is it that she has a vision or she just she let's has, see. A, yeah, like she senses. Just has yeah, that's what I was. I was like, she just kind of has a feeling because mm-hmm. um, it just says she had much foresight. Um, and she knows, and she talks to Thangle about this that the piece of Arda that they are experiencing is not going to last. Um, and so she's worried about that, and Thangle's worried about that. So they decide to create a fortress, essentially, a yes. really cool castle for themselves. And so that's what they employ the dwarves to do. And. Yeah, it does. It does say that they pay that they, you know, recognize that this is a very huge effort and labor that they are going to um, that they are doing. And so they reward them with. um, Let's see. Yeah. For Melian taught them much that they were eager eager to learn and Thangal rewarded them with many fair pearls. And I think it even mentions that like one of these pearls is like very much revered yes. by the dwarves um, nymphalos nymphalos N- nymph- yes nymphalos um and the chief of the dwarves of belagos prized it above a mountain of wealth sounds very reminiscent of a certain stone in the future Yes. You know? <laughs> um and also i'm just predicting Um, just like knowing that like so we've just had this story or the beginning sort of of the Silmarils where they create these really fancy gems that everyone's obsessed with (laughs) Um, and then that kind of is one of the driving factors behind Melkor doing what he does with Ungoliant um, and stealing the Silmarils and so just knowing that like okay if there's this one thing that's like really a prized possession I'm already just going to predict here that something's going to happen to uh, this pearl. Maybe that's what causes some strife between the elves and the dwarves. I don't know. But just like just thinking about like my, my tropes of like when you introduce one like really fancy thing that everyone's like, oh, yeah, this was the coolest thing of all. And everyone loved it a lot. I have a feeling it's either going to be fought, people are going to fight over it, or it's going to get lost or stolen or or something, so, or none of that (laughs) happens at all, and I just spend a lot of time thinking and talking about a pearl that never shows up again.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about the pearl too much.
0: (laughs) Damn it! Anyway. (laughs) Um... So yes, they spend some time making this fortress, um, and it is so cool and huge and vast, and it has all these caves and halls. And they name it Menegroth, the Thousand Caves.
1: Yes, um, and this is an important thing to keep track of later. Menegroth is, you know, like their castle, their dwelling, and then it's located within Doriath, which is located within Beleriand. Like it's a lot to keep track of.
0: Yes. Lots of locations, um, more of which get dropped um, later in the chapter, where I was like, I'm just going to stop paying attention because it's just a battle and, and whatever.
1: <laughs> yeah. you. I have to keep the map up in front of me when I'm rereading just so I can visualize. Yeah. And just a reminder, the map of Middle-earth does not have Beleriand on it. You have to have the map of Beleriand or you can find the combined maps
0: online, which I also find helpful yeah, definitely need multiple maps here at this point.
1: <laughs> All the maps. I feel like I need like one of those crime scene uh, boards where I'm just connecting everything every time I read this.:
0: Yes. Yeah, they make Menegroth. Um, It says, but the elves also had a part in that labor. And elves and dwarves together, each with their own skill, there wrought out the visions of Melian, the images of the wonder and beauty of Valinor beyond the sea. So again, just like a really beautiful, wonderful, like picturesque moment. Like the elves and dwarves are friends. It's not just the elves being like, work, my minions. Like, They're helping, too, and they're fulfilling, um, very reminiscent of, you know, how the Silmarillion begins of, you know, Oluvatar has this vision and Melian has this vision, so to speak, of, of this land and their people. And they're helping bring that to fruition.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things I was thinking about this time during my read through about the Sindar, and I think I often forget this as well, that the Sindar are technically part of the Teleri Elves. And of course, they're the ones that have this great connection to the sea. Um, we see them with Curdan, and also in Valinor, they're the ones building the ships. And so that got me thinking about, like, in Lord of the Rings, when Galadriel gives her prophecy to Legolas, beware the sea, or else he's, you know, his heart's going to lie in the forest no more. So I wonder if the Sindar also have kind of this latent tie to the ocean because they are of the Teleri elves. It's interesting to think about.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Good point. Thank you for bringing that up. They make this building. Everything's great. Um, However, the dwarves are a little bit worried, they become troubled because, so when Melkor, oh, I should mention, all of this is happening, it keeps it, throughout the chapter it'll say like, during the first age of the captivity of Melkor, this happened, and then the second age of the captivity of Melkor, this was happening. So all of this is happening while Melkor is still in prison. Um, a reminder though, that when the Valar defeated and captured Melkor, they did not defeat all of his darkness. Um, and did not, you know, take down his fortress Angband and all of that. So that's all still kind of there and growing beneath the surface, and that darkness that Melkor started is seeping out a little bit into Middle Earth, yeah. and the the dwarves are experiencing it.
1: You have the Balrogs are still there. The orcs are starting to roam around, and remember, at this point, still no one knows where Sauron is.
0: Yeah, he's just he's down MIA. there. In, yeah, he's just, like, I don't know, down in, like, the chambers of Angband, just in, like, a hammock. Like, all right, this is great. My boss is gone. I I get to do nothing all day. No this one is caught excellent.
1: him. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so the dwarves go to Thingol and say, There are fell beasts in the land east of the mountains, and your ancient kindred that dwell there are flying from the plains to the hills. Everything's wreaking havoc in... Parts of Beleriand, these evil creatures that they are now realizing they're going to have to contend with. So Thingol says, "Okay, let's make some weapons. Let's fight these things." Then the dwarves make some weapons. They smith them, and they are really impressed with what they have made. And again, I love seeing. The elves, like, giving credit to the dwarves where credit is due of, like, hey, these are some pretty good weapons. Thank you for making them. Like, these are unmatched compared to, like, what we've done or, like, we have knowledge of. um, Yeah. Which they essentially have no knowledge of weapon making, you know. Because
1: they've never needed them before. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the dwarves, it, it points out that they're, you know, they're a little more used to battle from, you know, defending off orcs or even other elves, other clans of dwarves.
0: Yeah. And um, so it's funny because this whole time I was thinking, oh, it's a good thing that like it wasn't the Noldor and Feanor who were over here when the dwarves came over. Because I was thinking like, oh, man, Feanor would just be like, see, I told you so. The Valar were lying to us. There are these other people in this land and and they're trying to be better than us. I was like, it's a good thing that it was Thangol and the Sindar who were over here. Um, because maybe it wouldn't have been as amicable if it had been Feanor. However, the Noldor, it brings up, um, are when they eventually come over and meet the dwarves, they're very impressed and they become good friends yes. because they both, um, the Noldor reveal, r- the Noldor revere Aule so heavily. And of course, the dwarves were created by Aule. So I liked that that piece of connection that they're able to bond over. And it kind of just shows you
1: what the relationship could be, could have been the whole time,
0: if not for the falling out. Yes, yeah. It's like, oh, see how happy they were? What happened? I guess we'll find out what happened. Chaos. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so they've created this stronghold. They've created lots of weapons Mm. to defend themselves. So they're feeling pretty good about themselves, right? They're like, okay, everything's gonna be okay. It's gonna be good. Then um, It mentions that, okay, this is where I was like, I don't remember any of these people. (laughs) Um, Part, so one of the groupings, okay, I'm trying. So the Teleri were walking over Middle Earth going towards Valinor. Yes. And they were originally led by Elway. Yes. And he gets distracted by this hot girl. He goes off and some of the other elves go off with him. And some of them continue moving forward with Olwey, and they make it over and have their little island over in Valinor. And then yeah. there are some that stay on the coast of yeah. Middle-earth, of Beleriand, and they are led by Linway. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, great. Excellent. <laughs> so, that background, refresher for everyone, myself included. So, there is... Linway, leading one faction of the Teleri who were kind of on the coast of Beleriand, and they come over, uh, his son, Denethor, not to be confused with with Denethor. Denethor Denethor, the elf, not to be confused with Denethor, the terrible father. Um, (laughs) The son of this faction of Teleri come over... Because they've been experiencing some troubles, too, and they find Thingol and the rest of these elves. And Thingol and the Sindar are like, oh, my God, there's more. Bro, like yeah. we, we <laughs> I remember you from like, remember that time I abandoned you guys It because <laughs> be, of this hot yeah, woman?
1: <laughs> it might be good to go over the classification of the elves again really quickly because it's a lot to remember. Yes.
0: Yes, please. Uh, you, if you if you have it down, I invite you to go for it, because this is where um, I really was like, I like that just shows how much so so this yeah. is where before this chapter, I really felt like I was doing a good job of keeping up with everything, remembering the characters. And then we got to this chapter and I'm like, oh, Crap, I forgot about all these elves who are over on the other side of this ocean, and then each of them is like their own separate group. So, yes, if you have the classifications, go for it. So there's the Eldar,
1: who are the elves that undertook the journey, and then there's the Avari. The Avari, you remember, um, Melkor got to the elves first, and he made them afraid of the Valar. So some of them refused the journey completely, and those are the Avari. Um within Middle Earth we deal mostly with the Eldar, which are divided up into the Vanir, the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri. Mm-hmm. So if you think Vanyar, I think Valinor, um, they yes. went they went to Valinor and they stayed. For the most part, they're over there, they stayed. So Vanyar, Valinor, va. that's how I keep that straight in my head. And then you have the Noldor, which are close to like Fanor, Galadriel, they're all part of the Noldor. Um Noldor, Noble they're like again, they're high elves, but they—they're the ones that come for the most part. Some stay in, some stay in Valinor, but some come back to Middle Earth, wreak havoc. Um, and then the Teleri. <laughs> so the Teleri is where it gets the most confusing. Yes. Because they all broke off at different points. Yes. You had some that stayed east of the Misty Mountains, some that crossed the Mit- Misty Mountains and stayed in Beleriand, and then some that did make it to Valinor. But the Teleri, um, I think, like, teleport transportation, because they're the ones, again, that have to do with the ocean. You have some on the side of Valinor that built the great ships, and then you have some with, like, Kurdan over on the other side. And then, of course, all Sindor are Teleri, but not all Teleri are Sindar. Teleri are Sindar, yeah. Just, like, all Nandor are Teleri, but not all Teleri are Nandor.
0: <laughs> so which ones are the Nandor? Are they the ones that went on the other side of the mountain?
1: Yeah, so the Nandor, this is what we're getting in with Denethor. These are going to be the Nandor, which I think some of them become known as, like, the Sylvan Elves. And then even some break off, We're gonna, as we're going to see in a second, some of them break off from <sighs> there further and then become the Green Elves.
0: See, at this point, I would just be like, they're elves. They don't need all these 20 different classifications if you're not going to remember all of them, you know? Yeah, so most of the elves that we end up
1: dealing with, like, in Lord of the Rings are cinder, like... Elrond is – I mean, he has a mixed heritage, but basically he's a Sindar. Um, Arwen would fall kind of in that category. Legolas, Thranduil, they're all Sindar, and then they're ruling over mostly Sylvan Elves and some Green Elves. Um, okay. So the Sindar are really what we deal with the most in the series, with the exception of – I mean, we're going to talk more about the older soon – and yeah. in, in the trilogy, Galadriel. So Galadriel's one of the Noldar. That's why she's kind of most revered in um, Middle-earth is because she's, like, not, like, this higher class, but she's seen
0: the light of Valinor. Yeah. hmm That makes sense to me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, it, I mean, it kind of makes sense. So, again, you just got to remember, all Sindar are Teleri, not all Teleri are Sindar. All Teleri Sindar. are Sindar,
0: <laughs> yes. Um, so... Dinothor brings some of his people... Over over here, the Nandor. Yes. Um. Yeah, and that's where they have like a little family reunion, and they're like, "Oh my god, more of our people! This is great." Sorry, I, I kind of abandoned you guys, but uh, hey, look at my wife! Isn't she hot? <laughs> yep. So yeah,
1: again, these are all the Tileri. They all originally embarked on the journey together and got split yes. up along
0: the way, and now they're and now they're back it's a together. Some, it's fun. Times. Some of some of them are still you know <laughs> over there or whatever, but like they're sort of back together. Yay. Um. And then I love this line. It's really beautiful. It says, "And Beleriand in those days, the elves walked, and the rivers flowed, and the stars shone, and the night flowers gave forth their scents, and the beauty of Melian was at the noon, and the beauty of Luthien was as the dawn in spring." So it really paints this beautiful picture that is about to be ruined.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's like <laughs> but, uh, but uh, it's going great. well. Everything's great, and then everything happens in Valinor yes. that we've already read about, and things fall apart. <laughs>
0: And then in the middle of this, there's this paragraph that I found very random um, talking about. So it's spelled D-A-E-R-O-N, but I, in my head, am pronouncing it Darren.
1: <laughs> we'll go with Darren. Or You know, I, I release you and I release everyone who reads Lord of the Rings. From trying to pronounce everything correctly. We are not all linguists. It's okay.
0: <laughs> Do you have a better way of pronouncing that so that it doesn't sound like Darren?
1: <laughs> um, I would probably say Daron, but De-ron. I don't even there know if go. that's correct. But Again, yeah, I'm not but a just linguist. <laughs> no,
0: but like, it just made me laugh a lot, like, as I was reading it, like, oh, we have like Galadriel and fanor and Finway and blah, and Darren. <laughs>
1: So he does. He does
0: pop up later,
1: not not in a huge way, but in a significant way, I would say.
0: And he creates some kind of runes. Yeah. So he basically creates the writing system. Okay. And it says that the dwarves, the dwarves are more impressed with this. Remember, mm-hmm. Daron, Daron. <laughs> this it literally says. Now I'm just thinking of that um key m- appeal sketch of the, you know, Aaron <laughs> Uh do you mean Aaron or just being like Daron? Ah,
1: uh, He's Darren
0: now. <laughs> um He is one he is an elf. He is one of the, you know the na is he a nandor or is he a Sindar? Yes, he i think he comes over yeah he comes over with denethor and makes these runes and the elves i guess are just kind of like yeah that's cool but it's the dwarves who are really like whoa these runes are amazing and they really hold it in a high regard um much more than the Sindar, his own people it says um so, yeah, I was, just, and then it, like, just talks about the runes, I guess, and it, t- like, I was just very confused about, like, because it kind of, he kind of goes off into a little bit of a tangent of, like, these are going to be really important in the future, I guess, yeah. or I don't know, I was so, just like,
1: what what is um, happening? These runes are really what we see more later, like, the dwarves using in... Casa doom and things like that and like the okay. like this inscription on Balin's tomb that we see in Lord of the Rings that's going to be the cur- curse
0: curse so yeah I guess just keep that in mind we have in the middle of all of this like oh yeah the the Nandor and the um, Sindar reuniting and also there are these runes so I guess just remember Darren and his runes yeah. <laughs> and supposedly they'll come back up again well, briefly. Yeah,
1: he'll he'll come uh, back again during
0: um, as we get more into the simarils and Baron and luthien. Um so yeah, not everything, you know, not all that glitters is gold. Um and it they they knew that like evil was coming essentially. Yeah. Like they knew this was not going to last very long.
1: Again, cuz Melian had the foresight. She knew yes. that, you know, Morgoth was going to be back eventually. Yes. Or he's still Melkor at this time. About to be Morgoth.
0: Over on the other side of of the of the sea, everything goes down that we had discussed in previous chapters and episodes with the trees and darkness. Um and and Morgoth. Fanor. Oh my gosh, Fanor. (laughs) Um, and so Morgoth and Ungoliant flee and they come over to Middle Earth. And um, when Ungoliant attacks Morgoth, um, it said in a previous chapter it said that like his cries echoed throughout the land for years to come um and it brings that up again here it says but the cry the great cry of morgoth echoed throughout Beleriand, and all its people shrank for fear for though they knew not what it foreboded they heard then the herald of death so they're like they hear this and they're like I don't know what that means, but, like, I'm smart enough to know it. It doesn't mean anything good. This is basically Middle Earth going dun, dun, dun. Yes. Yes. Like, <laughs> cue dramatic music. Um, and Ungoliant flees and comes almost, like, pretty much into their land, into their territory. But our girl, Melian... It says, but by the power of Melian, she was stayed and entered not into Neldoreth, but abode long time under the shadow of the precipices in which Dor... hmm, Dorthonian fell southward. So Melian holds her off and kind of wards her into a different, you know, forces her into a different area of the land um, where, again, in a previous chapter, we... Don't really know what becomes of Ungoliant. She goes and breeds some in yep. some lands and then all we know is it's like some say she ate herself. <laughs> and what a way, way to end. go out. <laughs> the,
1: right? Right? My girl was dramatic <laughs> till the end there.
0: <laughs> yes. I appreciate it. Um but Morgoth, our homeboy, Melkor he's still dramatic af and now he's returned to his fortress where mm-hmm. he's had the orcs the balrogs um it doesn't mention sauron but i'm assuming they he's, they had they he came home somewhere. and they did a little like he, secret handshake you know <laughs> um and so Thus begins it says um the first battle in the wars of Beleriand. And so mm-hmm. the orcs and um these fell beasts come out and kind of surround um what is it called the the fortress Minagroth Minagroth. Um and so on one side of the fortress of of the castle they're doing they're you know it's a hard battle but they eventually um the elves and the the dwarves are fighting too, right? Yes. Yes, the elves and the dwarves all fighting. They're doing pretty good, and they eventually win. But on the other side of things, it's not doing so well for our boy Denethor, who we just met. Um, And then he gets killed. So no more Denethor, bye. (laughs) Um, So Thingol does go over and help that side of the battle, but at that point, um, it's too late, and Denethor has already been killed. Yeah, Um, and
1: that's kind of what causes an that next breaking off of the elves because once they see oh yeah i see that now leader killed they're like oh just kidding we're going full isolationist we don't want to deal with this so they become like the green elves the wood elves that are like super super reclusive
0: yes it says after the battle some return to osari and their tidings And their tidings filled the remnant of their people with great fear, so that thereafter they came never forth in open war, but kept themselves by wariness and secrecy. And they were called the Laequendi, the green elves, because of the raiment of the color of leaves. But many went north and entered the garden, the guarded realm of Thingol, and were merged with his people. Okay, so there you go. Yep. They go back to Minagroth, and Melian creates like a magic bubble. Her girdle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, she creates this magic wall that essentially you're no one is going to pass unless either Melian or Thingol, you know, pre-approve this person coming past this magic barrier. Yes, with,
1: the, with a couple future exceptions, but more or less, yes.
0: And yes, it's called um, the, what are they called? Yeah, the Guarded Kingdom, Land of the Girdle. Yeah, they call it the Girdle of Melian. And yep. this is when I was like, Girdle is a weird word. It's a
1: choice. It's a choice.
0: <laughs> just what a weird word. The Girdle of Melian. Yeah, that that's what happens with the Sindar. And then we have like a little paragraph kind of just reminding us like, hey, don't forget. Meanwhile, Feanor... Is burning bridges? Oh, just kidding. He's not burning bridges. He's He's burning boats.
1: Here,
0: (laughs) yeah. And so they're having this battle. They've put up this magic bubble protection around Menegroth um, to protect themselves from the servants of Morgoth. And then, meanwhile, Feanor and his people have just betrayed um, the Teleri, the rest of his people, and everything, and left them on the shores of oh,
1: right, right. Valinor so, so they, and take
0: the boats over. They
1: fought the Teleri. They betrayed his, uh, basically, he did his, a lot. <laughs> his half-brothers people. And we're like, we're ditching y'all. We're yeah. going to Middle-earth and made them, <laughs> made them walk.
0: <laughs> yeah, making them walk, exactly. Um, and so that is... I found it so interesting that it says uh, the chapter is of the Sindar because I would argue we also learned an awful lot about the dwarves.
1: Yeah, so again, I feel like it's more properly titled "Meanwhile in Middle Earth."
0: <laughs> yes, "Meanwhile in Middle Earth." Um, so yeah, "Meanwhile in Middle Earth," the dwarves came, you know, reawoke and made friends with the Sindar, and things were going great until all of, all of a sudden they weren't. a great, great summary of Middle-earth. Things were going great until they weren't. Till they weren't. Um, And then I think the next chapter... Oh, never mind. I thought the next chapter was of men. Nope. Now we're going all the way...
1: (laughs) We're going back to Valinor.
0: Oh, Lord. Yeah. So this... Yeah, this is definitely where it's going to get a lot less linear, so... Um, Well, is there anything we missed or something that you wanted to go back and touch on or or bring up? Um, I think an
1: interesting thing that's mentioned in this chapter is it briefly mentions the orcs and how they don't know what the orcs were. They thought it might be some of their avari uh, kindred who had been, you know, kind of corrupted. And this is kind of like the first spot in... Which
0: they're not wrong, necessarily. They're not necessarily. Wrong, but they're
1: not necessarily right either. Yeah, so, yeah. Tolkien kind of went back and forth uh, in creating all this in regards to, you know, the orcs. At first they were, you know, more... Melkor took elves and he corrupted them and that's how we got the orcs. But kind of later on in his writing, it was like, well, we don't really know how the orcs came
0: about. And it's but like, but- Tolkien, you wrote it. <laughs>
1: exactly Can so I, th- I just, just think it's like an interesting example because a lot of things do get retconned in later works mm. or change slightly or he was constantly adjusting things as he created more works and that's just something interesting to keep in mind you know not even Tolkien yeah. al- always had his mind made up
0: yeah that's excellent an, an excellent point to, to keep in mind throughout all of this if I you know what I mean like now that you mention it it's something that like I think I, I think we knew all along everyone is like even Tolkien was still sometimes making some of this up.
1: Yeah so that's why I, I always say when you're reading the Silmarillion or any of these books uh, forgive yourself for making mistakes I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I made about at least two or three on this episode alone that's fine we go back it we happens. correct ourselves we do our best. Exactly. Not you yeah. don't have to keep, you know, your brain doesn't have to be a walking uh dictionary encyclopedia of everything Tolkien. I'm
0: I'm just so amazed at the people who whose brains are that. Where I'm just like H- how? How do you keep track of all? That's outstanding. Like like I I just it, I don't know. I'm just in awe of people who who just like Know all of these different, you know, mm-hmm. etymologies and and tree and you know family trees and histories and timelines and things, and I'm just like, I I, I forgot who Thingol was, <laughs> so. I mean, no one no one's infallible, but yeah, they're definitely. Oh my gosh, I do admire people
1: who can just keep this all in their brain. I'm like, maybe if mm-hmm. I only hyperfixated on Tolkien for the next uh, ten to fifteen years. I could do that, but um, But, I'm a little ADHD. My interests change every two weeks.
0: Yeah. There's, like, also, no offense, Tolkien, we love you. We thank you for what you did. But I think life would be very boring if we didn't explore works of fiction that were made in this century, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think... um,
0: and I think it can also help us better appreciate Tolkien because then when you explore outside of Tolkien and you go into all these different genres or series or creations, then you can also see how Tolkien influenced other people. Yeah, you know, did,
1: he laid a lot of groundwork for later fantasy, but I do think, you know, as a modern audience, we have to accept and embrace that he was not perfect. He mm. did try his very best. You know, sometimes he made mistakes and he tried to go back and correct those mistakes. Um, just in terms of, like, the dwarves and the creation of the dwarves and how they were characterized early on and how it was later pointed out to him that he was relying a lot on Jewish stereotype. Um, And he went back and tried to correct that and change that. So I think there's a lot to learn from Tolkien and appreciate about him, but we, you know, you can't go in and hold him up as as a god. You know, he was not infallible. He was human. He was imperfect. And I think as long – if we stop, you know, literally taking his works as Bible – You will enjoy it more. I promise you. If you let it go, you will enjoy it more.
0: Yes, totally.
1: I think we're seeing a lot of that in the fandom right now as everyone's in an Mm. uproar over, you know, Rings of Power. The
0: series, yeah, yeah. Which um, I think this is the first episode I'm recording since there was that big event that Mm -hmm. um, a lot of creators were invited. Were you a part of that at all? I was not. I was not. Okay, cool. Um, I just for, I don't know, full disclosure for everyone, I did not know that this was happening. Um, It's not any, I don't know. I would like to say, I would like to think it's because I am like openly critical of yeah. Amazon and Jeffrey Bezos like lit- like like so openly. And I would like to think that it's because compared to a lot of the other Tolkien creators, I think I'm a little bit more critical of Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. However, I think the reality is that I probably just was not noticed um which kind of sucks. but you know what anyway, point being is that yeah. I it's not like I was hiding, something from everyone of like ooh i got invited to this event and didn't tell anyone or i wasn't in, i was invited and i turned them down or i don't know whatever. Anyway, yeah, this big event happened where a lot of Tolkien creators were invited to see the fr- i think it was the first 20 minutes or something yeah, or yeah. i don't know if it was the first 20 minutes of an episode but it was 20 minutes of Rings of Power and a lot of them are coming away with really great positive reception which i'm really excited about i i kind of like had lowered the bar anyway where i was like i as long as it's like an entertaining show i'll probably enjoy it you know Mm -hmm. the only thing that makes me feel icky is that it's amazon but yeah
1: yeah no i would (laughs) but yeah you're,
0: you're totally right that like there have been there's been so much uproar um about the series and if everyone would just be like it's just fantasy it's just a world created by a man you know, then I think we'll all enjoy it more. But um, yeah, that that being said, though, I think hearing all of that like reception from positive reception from creators that like I trust that like a lot of them Absolutely. have been on, f- you know, a couple of them have been on the podcast before and I have a couple of them, you know, slated to come on in the future. And I'm like, I trust y'all. If you say it was good, then I believe you. Yeah, so.
1: especially coming from creators who I'd say aren't necessarily purists, but are, you know, a little bit more uh, concerned about... Open-minded? Well, I would say a little bit more concerned about keeping true to the lore than I am personally. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I'm of the mindset that I view, like, books and movies, they're two separate art forms, they're two separate things.
0: I don't even compare them anymore in the same
1: way. Because it just kind of yeah. personally ruins my enjoyment of things.
0: Yeah, definitely. The way I... So, um this is how I kind I'm comparing it to... The Witcher universe and, like, how I'm viewing all of this. So The Witcher Netflix series is very... It's not very different from the books, but, like, it's definitely taken a lot of... um it's a lot more, I don't know, flexible with like all the stories and like combining different elements and bringing in characters from like this story into this other story. And so it's definitely not like true to the books. However, and then the video games are also a totally almost separate universe. And so the way I view it is like, we just have like these three, you know, alternate timelines within this universe with these characters that I enjoy, you know, watching or reading. And so for me, I'm like, Oh, cool. I just get to that's why I started after watching the Netflix series. That's why I started reading the books because I was like, cool, I get to learn more about this world. And like, oh, I get to like, I get to see it from like a different point of view or like I get a different version of this story. And so that's what I'm looking forward to with the Amazon series where it for me, I think it'll be more like, maybe it's not like an exact retelling of whatever tolkien wrote or laid out for a timeline but mm-hmm. like it's just a different version it's just a different way of telling this story it's a new you know way of looking at it i don't know that was a lot of rambling i'm gonna shut up that's okay i'm the one that completely <laughs> derailed you and led to the rambling. no <laughs> <laughs> um well amber thank you so much for coming on uh where can people find you on the internet
1: So you can find me on TikTok and on Instagram under Critique Geek. If you look very hard, you can also find me on Tumblr (laughs) under It's Critique Geek. Hanging out with all of us old, older millennial nerds.
0: (laughs) Tumblr. I was just, I like accidentally opened my Tumblr app today. (laughs) Like it's still on my phone. And I like went to tap something next to it and Mm -hmm. then accidentally hit it. And I opened it up and I was like, what is all of this? <laughs> like I haven't been on Tumblr in such a long time. Oh, it's
1: great now. It's just all it's like really really niche stuff. Like I only all I get now is stuff about Lord of the Rings and um, Dracula and it's fabulous.
0: <laughs> Very cool. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to wbne.org where you will find all of our shows like Bacon and Eggs. Tyler and Ethan are currently on a hiatus, but there's no better time than now to catch up. The cover is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for that's what I'm talking about by going to tpublic.com slash user slash TolkienAboutPod. pod. You can follow the podcast on social media at Tolkien About Pod. You can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at up and Instagram at MCTurn for what. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. If you join the 11s East tier, you will get access to bonus content such as my notes, that I only realized until, I don't know, last week that I haven't been uploading those as frequently as I should be. Very sorry about that, y'all. So if you are a member of the Elevensies tier, you will be getting an influx of my notes that I take as I am reading each chapter. So these are my very first thoughts and reactions. You will get to see me trying to work things out for the first time as I'm reading the Silmarillion. When I've come to the recording. I've already worked it out a little bit, but as I'm taking these notes, I have no idea what's happening. Or you can become a sponsor of the podcast like Josh. Josh recently upped his pledge from the Discord level to the shout out level. So thank you, Josh, so much for upping your support and showing how much you care for the podcast and me. I really appreciate that. That's really wonderful of you to do. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Again, my parting words, I've said this a few times,
1: you know, when you're approaching the works of Tolkien, give yourself grace, do it with patience, take notes if you need to, look at maps if you need to, look at the the index, the glossaries. No one has to remember all of this information. You do not have to keep everything organized in your mind. Just however you can best enjoy it, but don't
0: stress. <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about.